Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. And so today, if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Matthew chapter 4. And also we have the sermon notes. So if you want to go ahead and check our church app, or you can talk to your life group leaders in your chat group, and hopefully it will be able to forward that to you. As I mentioned, we're starting our sixth week of this 50 Days of Freedom, and in the last 35 days, it's been 35 days so far, we've been focusing on living the life that God has intended for us. It is not to be in bondage, it is not to be a slave to sin, but to be servants of God. And that's why we gave you this overall diagram so you could follow along and how each of these parts play a part in a greater understanding of how to live in freedom. That's why we use this diagram. As many of you know this diagram, it's about how we only see 10% or a little bit of the things that are visible, that are above the surface, but there are a lot of things going on underneath. In the same way as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities, the dark forces and of this world. And we see there are a lot of things going on in the spiritual realm that we forget about and how important it is. And so that's why when we first started, we talked about this is where we are. We are living in this place of bondage or even uh, bound to sin in our lives. And this is what Satan's doing because he knows his destiny. He knows that he's going to be forever banished once and for all when Jesus Christ comes back and he comes back as the ruling king, not as a lamb of God, but as the lion of Judah. And because of that, he is doing everything in your life and in my life to raise havoc. But we want to get to the part of the future, which is what? where we find freedom, where we're able to enjoy living for the purposes of God. That's why when we first started in part one, we talked about warfare matters and how the spiritual warfare and the struggle that we go through, you have to understand it. Some of us, we go through our whole Christian life and forget about that there is a spiritual warfare that's happening right now in your life. This is the reason why some of you get complacent. Some of you get apathetic. Some of you don't want to grow. Some of you even at a point start detesting the things of God. You want to live for yourself. That is a spiritual warfare that's going on in your life. Emotions such as anger, bitterness, those are the things that Satan uses to put you in the prison of sin. And so what we were talked about from there is that we second part we talked about was we want to win the battle. We talked about how to find freedom through salvation and the authority that we have in Christ. It is through salvation, us being saved, and now we are set free. That is literally the key that opens up the prison doors that we can actually live for Christ and get out of this bondage. And it's through not only salvation, but it is through his authority. That's why I want to talk a little bit about that as we talk about the word today. It's through his authority. And then from there, what we've talked about was that we have to wage war. So we're going deeper. We're we're understanding that now we are in a war and there are strongholds and idolatry. You know, we don't walk around and say, oh, I'm an idol worshiper. (laughs) But you just look at a person's life, you're like, something's off. There's something going on. Some of you might not worship money. Maybe some of you don't worship success or all these other things that are usually the same things that in this culture that we live in. But some of you worship yourself. Some of you worship your pain. Because you're saying that until that person asks for forgiveness, until until they feel really sorry, I'm not going to forgive them. 
Well, well, that's what we talked about. It is like drinking poison and then expecting that person to die. You're the one who's dying. Look at your life. Everyone can tell something's wrong in your life, in your heart. But once again, we don't see it. And so we have to know that we are waging war. We have to address the strongholds. We have to get into the parts of the idolatry. And then we go even deeper. And what one of the things that we realize is that it's connected to wounds of the past. Many of these things are hurts that you've experienced from your parents, from other people, your friends, and some of the broken relationships that some of you have gone through in your life. And this is the reason why there's generational sins in your life. The things that you're going through now, your parents went through it, and now they're putting it on you. And when you look at your parents and then you look at your grandparents, you realize, wow, that's what grandpa and grandpa and my grandma did to my mom or to my dad. And guess what? Some of you are like, okay, then I'm not going to. No, you are. This is where I, I keep on telling people we have good intentions, but you don't understand how strong this is. If you don't believe me, talk to some of these young parents. And it is in that moment where you realize, I'm doing the same thing that my mom did. I'm doing the same thing my dad did to me. Because it's a generational sin. It's a stronghold that you cannot just will yourself to be set free from. So if your father did something to your family, it, there's a good possibility you will do the same thing to your family in the future. I'm not saying that it's going to happen 100%, but the likelihood it's very high. That's why when you come from an alcoholic family, the likelihood of you getting addicted to substance abuse, it increases. It's a generational pattern and a generational sin. If some of you grew up in shame, some of you grew up in saving face and not being honest because your parents told you don't tell anybody, that's how you're living your life now, and that's what you're going to do with your kids. You'll see this time and time again. That's why when I'm listening in counseling sessions, I'm trying to identify what it is, and I realize oftentimes it's connected to their family. So we got to address some of these wounds of the past as we get into the generational things. And then from there, we talk about how words have power, which I will talk about today. This is where we're going to get out of this. If we know how to use God's words, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And then we talked about it some weeks, couple weeks back, that the freedoms, the weapons of freedoms that we have, it's about repentance and obedience to his word. So as we talked about that, and now we're going to talk about this part of words have power, I pray that you will be convinced that it's only through the word of God that you'll be able to experience genuine freedom. And then uh, the seventh thing that we're going to talk about next week is wearing God's ar armor, how to abide in Christ. It's a continual thing, as you heard, that it's not just, okay, we're set free and we're good. No, the next hour, the next day, the next week, you, you can go back into that kind of life. That's why it's a continual walking trusting, obeying in God. And we're going to try to teach you that. And lastly, this is where we're going to close out. We're going to talk about walking in freedom, how to have the sustainability of continuing to repent and to trust and to walk with God and having good accountability. That's one of the best ways to be able to continue to walk in freedom. And this is the reason why Jesus gave, uh, gave us two promises. Both of them found in the book of John. It says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. Many of you know this passage. We've been quoting this. It says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. This is a promise from God. So the war that we are waging in the opposite side, our enemy, he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He literally wants to ruin you. 
and he wants to steal everything that God has given to you as your spiritual blessings. That's a fact. But once again, but Jesus, what he's saying is he came to this world, died on the cross, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, so that what? So that we can have life. Everyone say life. And we can have it abundantly. It's not just life, oh, we go through life. It is an abundant, joyful life that God has promised. If you're not living that right now, that you're not experiencing the promise that God has given. That's why earlier he also mentioned in John chapter 8, verse 36, listen to what he says. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Come on, say this with me. Free indeed. And Jesus Christ has set us free. That's the whole thing about him dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. Death could not hold him. Nothing else could hold him now because he has conquered the great, the last weapon that Satan had was death. Jesus Christ conquered that. So now we're able to become overcomers in our lives. And this is the promise that we believe, that he has set us free. And that's why we will be free, free indeed. I want to start off and just kind of, as I did this review, to get us kind of focused in on how we're going to navigate this towards the end of the 50 days. This is our 35th day. We're going to start the seventh, uh, the sixth week coming up this week. And with a couple more Sundays left, I'm praying that it will be a blessing and solidify everything that we've been talking about. I wanted to start off and kind of ask us this question. The question is this. I'm wondering how many of us have been told something, something to us that is false, but not, might not be true, or information that's a little bit kind of warped or twisted, and somehow we started to believe in it, and right now, even to this day, you are still living according to those words that have been spoken to you. And this is the reason why I've been saying all throughout the series, and I'm saying it again today, and I said it earlier, is that a lot of times these things are connected with our family. No matter how much you try to avoid it, you cannot avoid the fact that many of your hurts are rooted in your family. And I've been having conversations with different people throughout the weeks in this last 35 days, and as we're talking about the 50 days of freedom, it's kind of interesting that sometimes when you think everything is going well and all of a sudden the word of God comes forth and you realize, oh, I didn't even realize that. That did affect me. Or as I've been talking to other people, what they've been saying to me is this. I realized that as you've been preaching or as we've been going over the Bible study and doing some reflection, I realized that I was the offender. I was the person who did that to somebody else. And I'm praying that some of you would take steps of faith and you will obey God and you will say to yourself, I have offended this person and I want to go and apologize and say, I'm very sorry for the Holy Spirit convicted me. And if I've ever hurt you and you know what, that person might be like, I don't even remember some of them, might, but at least you obeyed God. And if you do obey God, I'm wondering what will happen in that moment if that person was hurt, it, it could set them free. So has there been words that have been spoken to you that were not completely true or even just a slight truth but twisted in many ways that you've internalized, that you started believing in, and now you're acting according to it? Brittany LaFour, she is a licensed clinical professional counselor, and in her article, Eight Damaging Phrases Parents Say. I thought it was interesting. Listen to what she writes. She says this, research shows words do matter. There is a direct relationship between adverse childhood experience, they call it ACE, A-C-E, 
and lifelong negative consequences on physical and mental health. Verbal and emotional abuse had higher negative physical effects than those from physical abuse. I want you to think about that for a moment. More than physical abuse, being beaten, whatever it may be, verbal abuse has a longer lasting impact on a person. The CDC Kaiser Adverse Child Experiences, the ACE, they did a study and it was done in 1998, and I thought this was also very insightful. They did a study, and what they did was they asked two questions to measure the level of emotional abuse that a person went through when they were younger. And here are the two questions that I want you to kind of read along, if you will, and ask yourself, yeah, what are those things in my life? Here's the first question. Before you were 18, did a parent or another adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliated you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? I mean, that's a blank, blunt question, but if you could say yes, often or very often, then you are a child of the adverse right childhood experience. Here's the second question they were asking to measure the emotional level of abuse. Before you were 18, did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought that you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other or support each other? That also has an effect on people as they get older. When you feel neglected, abandoned, not cared for, because these are the basic things that every single family must provide. And please, let's, let's get this straight. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you will never experience it. In fact, I will say this, and I'll say this boldly. It is oftentimes in the church, people who go to church, people who are Christians, elders, deacons, even pastors, and people who love God, leaders, they're the ones who cause the adverse childhood experiences. And there are many who are not believers who do not cause this in their family. Just so that we're straight on this. Some of you are like, I'm a Christian or I come from, it doesn't matter. I've seen some of the worst sins happen amongst Christians. So if you think you're protecting yourself because I go to church, you're falsely, you are standing on shaking ground. You might know, how many of us know a lot of things about what Christ wants us to do, but how many of us do it? That's the point. We're more dictated by secularism, our, our own desires more than anything else, and unresolved issues. The findings from this study shows that parents have this tremendous influence over a child's self-esteem and mental health, especially with their words or even lack of words. Can I just pause here? I'm going to be straight up with you today. I, I, I came prayed up. I'm ready. Let me just speak to you. Some of you think you're ready for a relationship. I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to ruin whatever future you have. Because some of you are not addressing the issues of your life. 
Some of you, God has been gracious by placing people who love you to help you, but you are just rejecting it because of your pride, because of your insecurity. I'm tired of them telling what to do or what my issues are. I'm going to tell you right now, then, then what's going to happen is you're going to be a rebellious person and you're going to try to start a new family with somebody else and this pattern is going to continue into the next generation. That's the part that breaks my heart, to know that in the third, fourth generation, your next generation is going to get affected. This is the reason why we are passionate about discipleship. Because we want to change the course of history. The trajectory of where things are going in your life, in your family story. And the future of Christianity, we want to change that. We're not going to be able to do it just by ourselves, but we want to play our little part. That anyone who steps into our church, we want to change the course of that so that people be able to live according to God's word and to trust in him. And some of you who are in relationships and you're fighting, I bet you anything is connected to some of the wounds of the past that you are not addressing. Is that going to get any better over time? That's why there's divorces. That's why there's broken hearts, broken relationships, kids experiencing ACE or, or adverse childhood experiences in their lives. And whenever I see children or the vulnerable being hurt, it breaks my heart. And in many ways, I get kind of indignant i get this anger this whole righteous hopefully it's righteous anger to see all these things happening to people who had no choice not to say that they're innocent because sometimes they're like little devils aren't they but you know what i'm talking about lafour came up with eight specific phrases that most that are the most damaging to children. I'm going to go over this list really quickly, and I want you to be able to say, yep, check, that's me, that's me, that's me. If you get one or two of these checks, then, you know, I hope that it will stir your heart to take steps of faith. If you, if, Pastor, I got 100%. If that's you, you know, it's not a good thing. This is the one time if you get 100 and A on this uh, exam here, this little test, it's not good. That means you're really messed up and you need help. And until you humble yourself and turn to God, you're going to repeat the same thing to somebody else. Here are some things that she lists, and these are specific things that's most damaging to kids. First one is name-calling in general. So anything, you're fat, you're stupid. If your parents said any of that, but they were joking, Pastor. It doesn't matter if they're joking. Satan is Lord. I'm just joking. No, you know, it doesn't work that way. You are declaring something. So if you have been a recipient or you have said this to somebody else in your family, you're fat, you're stupid, and you just fill in the blank with any kind of name calling. It's the most damaging to children. And I'm speaking to some of us who are parents. We've got to be able to raise up our child in the ways of the Lord. and It's hard. Being a parent is hard. I've made so many mistakes along the way. And it's only by God's grace and also the grace of Christina that uh, we're able to see our kids where they are now. This is the reason why we ourselves have to be wondering, are we the offenders? Second thing is, here's another phrase that's very damaging to children. You're acting like your mother or you're acting like your father. Have you heard that from your parent? 
because you lose that sense of identity or you connect yourself with, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Here's another one. I love you, but it communicates what? Conditional love. So you're always working hard. And some of us, they won't even say, I love you, but they just get angry because you didn't get the A. So quickly you realize, I'm going to keep on getting A's. Or you don't perform and do certain things. You realize very quickly as a young child, I'm going to keep on doing this or my parents' love will be taken away. It's so damaging. And I see this every single time where people come through our church. Number four, why can't you be more like blank? And what that's implying is that you're not enough. Why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be like Mr. Wong's daughter? I don't know. Why can't you be more like purple or I don't know. Sometimes they use uh, colors and different candies and stuff like here in Hong Kong. But why can't you be more like them? That shows that you're not enough. That's where insecurity comes about. You'll see this all the time. Insecure people sometimes is rooted in these words that have been spoken to them when they're young. Number five, where did I go wrong? I guess I'm just a horrible parent. <laughs> when I think, I'm like, yeah, you are. Because you don't say that to your children. Because then what you do is you're using guilt and shame for your own behavior. Just because your kids don't turn out the way you want them to doesn't mean necessarily it's your fault in many ways. But what? It's that you have to learn how to separate their behavior from who they are. Number six, you should be ashamed of yourself. See, what happens is that when you use shame, it makes children hate themselves. That's why some of you have self-hatred. Some of you are cutting. Some of you guys are inflicting pain. Some of you are struggling with substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. A lot of it is because you hate yourself. Some of you are like, no, I don't. I think I'm awesome. I think, no, you're not. If you look in the mirror, you'll look deep inside. Even though you might be the most prettiest person in the world, most talented person in the world, deep inside, you hate yourself because ever since you were young, you were told that you're not good enough. That you should be ashamed. Number seven, I can't deal with this right now. I don't know if your parents have ever said that. I, I, I can't deal with this right now. It makes a kid feel abandoned. And when you start feeling abandoned, you start feeling insecure and you start latching onto things. That's why some of you constantly go from one relationship to another, trying to find a sense of belonging, trying to find a sense of acceptance. It's your pattern. Number eight, lastly, she says, you're the blank one. You're the smart one. You're the good one. You know what that does to a kid? It's a, it's a comparison, of course. But when you start labeling children, then what it does is creates anxiety in children because they have to live up to whatever that label is. There's nothing wrong to say you did great in school. I'm so proud of you. But if you say you're the smart one, if you stop being smart, if you stop getting A's, do you see the anxiety? That's why we live in a culture right now with so many people who are living anxiously. We are living in a society where it's anxious, anxiety-driven. Which then, what does it produce? Anxiety produces addictions. 
That's why we have so many more addictions than ever before. The whole opioid crisis that's in the States and all over. It's because of the wounds of the past, which was connected to the words that have power. I think the sad part for some of us is that your parents didn't say any of these things, or they might have said some, but what they use more than anything else is silence. Have you been there? You didn't get first place. You didn't play really well at that sports or that thing that you were supposed to, the drama that you were supposed to present yourself, or that violin concert, or that symphony that you were part of. You made a mistake. Everyone could hear, and you're like, oh, God. And on the ride home, your parents say nothing. Silence. You know what that feels like. You're sitting in the car. You're you're anxious. Because there's that desire where you'd rather have them yell at you than not say anything. Because that silence is a form of mental abuse. Where the kid feels ignored. And not good enough for the parents' attention. I don't know about you, but this covers a lot of people. Covers things that I've experienced in my life. Which then manifests in the things that I do or don't do. And until you meet Jesus Christ, unless you see that everything, whether it's love, acceptance, sense of belonging, security, unless you find it in Jesus Christ, you're going to be searching for the rest of your life, and it's going to be a continual, perpetual cycle that you're going to repeat over and over to your children and your future children. I want to show you this quick video that was made by the Center of Psychological Research in Shenyang, China. And this video is going to be in Chinese, but there's going to be sub- subtitles, so you could just kind of look at it. There's cam- or TV screens around you, so you can look at the subtitles if you can't see it from here. And the Center for Psychological Research, uh, they made this video because they began to see a, 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 an uptick on juvenile crimes and violent crimes. And what they did was they started interviewing some of these children. And as they were interviewing these kids, they realized that a lot of it tied back into the wounds of the past. Words that were spoken to them by their parents. I am not saying by if your parents said any of these things, you're going to turn into a criminal. But the point that I do want to say is a lot of criminals have experienced these things. So apart from the grace of God and the love of God and the grace of God in our lives, a lot of us are going to continue to live in a way that's going to be unhealthy for us. So I want you to listen. If you speak Chinese, praise God. You could just watch it in your heart language. Let us speak to you. If you don't like me or I'm trying, then you could just say, oh, that, that's whoa. You know, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You could memorize maybe a couple of these things. But I want you to be able to watch it. There's subtitles. Read it because it's going to be powerful. This video was made to visually shock you. So if there's any kids, don't worry. It's okay. It's not that to that level. But it, it, it's supposed to stir you. As you watch this. So let's watch this together. Powerful, isn't it? The words that we think are just words. 
actually become weapons that will destroy your soul. This is the reason why many of you are sitting here with wounds from the past. This is the reason why you cannot change. This is why you find yourself in the cyclic life pattern over and over again, and it's frustrating. And the scary part is it's not just through our parents. It could come through our siblings, whether you are the recipient or you said that to your younger brother or sister. It could be from your friends, even though they're joking. I think worst part of it all is sometimes from strangers where we don't even know. I've asked uh, Peter Young to come up and just share one of his experiences because I've been walking with Peter for many, many years from back from Michigan and here. And that was part of his life story. And this one part, how it affects a person, even when it happened when they were young, it happens, it happened and then it affects you even when you're older. But praise God, by the grace of God, God is working in his life to set him free from these things. So let's give a hand as Peter comes out. Hi, thank you, Pastor Seth. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Peter, and um, I'm currently in the city ministry. I just want to share a quick testimony. And so how many of us play games here, online games? Yeah. So I used to play a lot of games when I was in middle school uh, and also in high school. And and when you play online games, you're usually, normally I would play with my like close childhood friends and we would do that as a way to connect with each other. But there would be times when they're not on. Sorry, I should take off my mask. Um, there would be times when they're not on and so I would be playing like pickup games. Uh, we'll call them pugs. And so it's like a pickup game. You would uh, get, you know, different people with you and they're strangers. They're people I've never heard of. They're just people who I wanted to play uh, this game with and we would uh, do like scrimmages and so it'll be like five on five it'll be a first per person shooter game and so in the midst of that um we started to lose the game we're down like probably you know it goes to 15 rounds we're down like eight to zero so it's like pretty much we lost the game already and so at this point, one of the guys on my team started, we started to bicker at each other. So you suck. And then the other person, well, you suck. And, the, you know, we just keep going back and forth and, uh, you know, it keep going, keep going. And, you know, it, it started to get a lot more personal. And then it's like, oh, like your mom is so fat, blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, just keep going and, you know, become even more personal. You know, we'll just talk about that person in different ways. And then... Uh, finally, everything culminated, and then all of a sudden, you know, I just heard this guy saying, and, and it still, like, sticks with me in some ways today, but the words he said is, hey, you sound like a kid with a disability. You, ha you sound like a kid who has some kind of, like, vocal problems and, and troubles, and your voice doesn't sound normal. And in that moment, I was like, you know, again, I'm in middle school, high school, like I have all this pride in me and I'm like, you sound like, you know, whatever, right? But I think deep inside, as, as I journeyed through life, I just realized like, it, it started to become really, really hard for me to hear my own voice or hear, hear myself through a recording. And I would constantly just think to myself like, oh, is that what other people see me as? Is that what? what people think but they've never said to me and I think it just struck a chord in my heart and I was just like 
man, like, it, you know, I didn't, in my mind at that point, it wasn't something that I thought would ever affect me because I didn't know this guy. This guy didn't know me. He didn't know where I lived or what I did. Um, but he said those words and it struck something in my heart that said, hey, maybe other people think of you that way. Maybe other people think your voice sounds like this or that. And I think for a long time, I had to wrestle with that. And, it, you know, I, I wouldn't say, I would say it probably took, even till now, there's moments where I, I'm like battling through that and I know it's a lie. And so, and it's not that I can find my identity in that, right? And so I think being able to process that, but realizing man, how much those words affected me. And, you know, one of the things that people tell you when you're younger is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But, yeah, just as Pastor Seth was sharing earlier, that those words have power. Even if it's a stranger and you just say something, maybe they bump you into MTR, you say these things, it could have power in their lives and you may never see the consequences of that. And so I think by the grace of God, it's it's, freedom for me to even share this with everyone here. I'm just thankful for the process and I'm thankful for people walking me through that journey. Thanks, bro. You have a lovely voice, man, all right? Sounds masculine there. Anyway, um, let me just go ahead and uh, I wanna jump into this because I think as I use scripture, I pray that it'll help us to illuminate things in our lives and also to help some of us free. I, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm feeling like this morning with some of the things that you saw, some of the things that were shared in the beginning, um, and you now you're thinking about things that have been happened to you, like your parents, the words that they have said, or to those people, your siblings, and also some of you who realize, oh, I did that to others, and there's a sense of guilt. Uh, I think this morning there needs to be repentance. And so when we come before God, he has open arms. He will receive us and forgive us and heal us so that we can move forward and live the life that God has given to us. So I'm just going to try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I'm feeling like maybe today there's going to be some deeper work that he's going to do in our lives. Let's, let's stay focused. Let's listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. So I want to go ahead and just talk about the power of words and how words have power. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, is that when God's word is faithfully spoken, so we have to speak it, strongholds can be powerfully broken. So the only way we're going to break some of these strongholds in our lives is when we're able to speak God's word into our lives and in that situation. So when God's word is faithfully spoken, strongholds can be powerfully broken. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at a familiar story. It's about Jesus being tempted by Satan. And he tries to, Satan tries to tempt Jesus three times to sin against God. But each time Jesus, what you will notice is he used God's word to overcome. And we're going to examine three areas of sin that Satan tries to tempt us with so that we can disobey God and not live for God's purposes and his plan. This is why God's word have to be, has to be faithfully spoken so that strongholds can be broken. Let me talk about the first area, first area of sin and what God's word can do. God's word breaks the sin 
of self-sufficiency. What I want to do is that many of us have different areas of sin, but you can categorize almost most of the sins in this world under these three categories. And that's exactly what Jesus was tempted with. So I hope that you can make the connection that God's word breaks the sin of self-sufficiency. So before I read the passage for today, I I want us to note what happened a little bit earlier. This is going to be very important to understand chapter 4. If you look at chapter 3, towards the last paragraph of chapter 3, you will notice that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, listen to what it says. It says this. It says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So here's God, through through the Spirit, as Jesus was getting baptized, he comes out of the water, and the Spirit says uh, says to uh, Jesus and to those around, he goes, this is my son that I love, and I'm so well pleased. Listen to this other translation in the message translation. It says this, and along with the Spirit, a voice, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, the light of my life. I don't know if you've ever heard those words spoken to you by your parents or those who say that they love you. But this is a powerful thing to know your identity. That you are chosen, that you've been marked by this love, and to understand that you are well-pleasing to the Father. These are words of affirmation by God to his Son. That Jesus is his beloved son. Jesus is the one who was chosen and marked by the Father's love and to the delight of God's heart. And so it's right after this that Jesus was led into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan. And I'm going to start reading, and we're going to look at the 11 verses, but I'm going to break it down into three sections and the three areas of sin that the Word of God can break forth and set us free from. So let's read verses 1 and 3. This is what the Word of God says. Then Jesus was led up, so this is right after the baptism, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command those stones to become loaves of bread. Now, what I want you to notice is that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says he was hungry. And I just want to say, uh, no kidding. If you've ever fasted for a day, if you've ever fasted for an extended period of time, you understand that your body is crying out, feed me. So here's Jesus being baptized and affirmed in who he is in his identity. He goes into the wilderness, and he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and you will see this is when the Satan comes. That's why in verse 3, as we just read, it says, then the tempter came. Then the tempter came. Now, the powerful thing about this is Satan is always waiting around. He's waiting for an opportune time. The Bible tells us this in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Read the yellow section with me. It says this, alert, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you've ever seen some of the Discovery Channels or those Animal Kingdom channels, you realize the lion is literally crouching very slowly. And that's exactly, that's why the imagery is used as Satan is like a roaring lion waiting to pounce and ready to attack at the right moment. When that deer or whatever it is, they're putting their head down to get a drink of water, that's exactly when he comes and attacks. So here in the 
moment as a human, because God was Jesus was fully God and feel, fully human, but yet with no sin. We notice that as he was starving and hungry, as he was fasting, trying to depend on God, we see the tempter that he came. So what does Satan do? He challenges Jesus. He says, if you are the son of God. See, this is exactly what he does. Already in chapter 3, as I just read, he is the son of God. This is my son that I love and who I'm well pleased. He is the delight of my life. But here Satan attacks the very thing that God says. He goes, if you are the son of God. So what Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with is the misuse of his position. Now listen to me carefully. Because as the son of God, he could definitely turn the stone into bread. So that he could satisfy his hunger. If you're God and you're the son of God, then you should be able to do this. What Satan was trying to do was causing Jesus to live independently from the Father. Because Jesus knew what his plan was, God's plan, what he had to do. He had to die on the cross. But what does Satan do? He tries to cause Jesus to live in a very self-sufficient, independent way as if he didn't need the Father. I think this is exactly what happens to us. It oftentimes starts with a doubt. So what Satan is trying to do, especially to Jesus, is since you are the beloved son, huh, if you're the beloved son of God, then why doesn't he feed you? Why does he put you in this terrible wilderness? Why don't you use your powers to meet your own needs if you're really God? And the thing that we have to understand is that's how Satan works in our lives. When there's a stronghold, when we're tempted with different things, he goes directly to what the Word of God says, and he begins to question those things. And then we're like, yeah, why is that? If God is so good, then why does he allow these things to happen to me? I mean, I, I've been a Christian. I've been trying to live for Jesus. Then why am I going through all this? If you remember in John chapter 5, verse 30, what did Jesus say? He says very clearly, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus speaking. He knew that he wanted to do the will of the Father. He needed to be dependent on God. John chapter 6, verse 38, it says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus knew that he could not be self-sufficient and trusting in himself. He wanted to do the Father's will. So what does Jesus do in the midst of this temptation? He ends up quoting a passage from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And Jesus says what? It is written. Now, the important part of this Deuteronomy passage is that this is where Moses reminds the Israelite people of God's provisions of manna in the wilderness. That's why it's important. That's why Jesus says we do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What he's simply saying is that God is the one who will provide. God is the one who will sustain us. That we don't trust in ourselves, but we are completely sufficient in Christ. That we are not sufficient in ourselves. That's why when you use God's word, it's able to break the sin of self-sufficiency where we want to do things on our own strength our own wisdom. How about us this morning? I'm wondering if we're God-sufficient or self-sufficient. 
Just think about your lives. All the things that are going on. Are some of you in a situation where you're like, okay, is God really going to answer? Is God really going to deliver? Is God really going to provide? Those are the times when it's so easy to be tempted. I'm wondering, do we find ourselves trusting ourselves more than God? One way to find out, I always tell people, one way to find out if you're trusting in yourself more than God is your prayer life. And also, things that you know how to do really well. Do you pray? Those of you who are working, do you get up in the morning and as your community, do you pray? Do you pray for your workplace? Do you pray that you'll have good attitude? Do you pray that you'll do well? Do you pray that you'll stop sealing the post-its and pens? I mean, do you pray? Same with some of us who are students. Do you pray before you go to class? That shows you how sufficient you are and whom to, in whom you are sufficient in. Is it yourself or is it God? It's only when we don't find a job and we're like, okay, Lord, I need prayer. It's only when things are difficult. Because you have exhausted all your human means. And I'm wondering if that's what God is doing in some of your lives. So you will quickly surrender and turn to God. Are you trusting in him or yourself? The second area is not only the sin of self-sufficiency, but we see that God's word breaks the sin of self-protection. I want us to read verses 5 through 7. This is what the word of God says. But he answered, it is written, this is Jesus, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, as we talked about. And then in verse 5, it says this, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. What Satan did was he took him to a part of a temple that overlooks this deep valley. And as he took him to this place, we see here that he quotes God's word from Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12. Now, the reason why this is important. It's because when you look at this context of Psalm 91, you realize Satan twisted the words. See, that's the part with Satan. He is so deceptive that it looks true, but it's really not. So he quotes Psalm 91 verses 11 through 12, but the problem is he took it out of context because if you look at verse 10, you will notice that God promises the protection of angels around people rather than what? Using this as to test God's protection over us. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When God declared this is to be true, it's about trusting and believing. But what Satan did was that he took this, he twisted it just enough because he left out in all your ways. That's the part he left out from the original text. Because then he's now using it, will God really protect you? When God already said he will. So he takes God's word, he eliminates or he leaves out certain things to make us wonder and question if he will protect us. So once again, what is he doing? Satan is trying to attack Jesus' identity as the son of God. Before, in the first temptation, but the second one now, he is trying to question Jesus' identity as the Messiah. What Satan was doing was trying to remind Jesus about 
a prophecy that was given in Malachi. I'm not going to go too deep into this, but there's a prophecy that was given in the book of Malachi, that small minor prophet. So it's not Micah, but in uh, Malachi. And what we see here is very clear that suddenly in the sky will appear the Messiah. So what Satan is doing, he goes, hey, remember that prophecy? If, if you really are the Messiah, then here, here we are on, the, on, on this hill. And you're looking down. And right now, if throw yourself, come down from the sky, and people will know that you're the Messiah. Very smart. Very subtle. And as soon as Jesus used scripture in the first temptation, here's Satan using scripture twisting it to get to Jesus. It's almost like we say no to one temptation, and then Satan goes, okay, you want to play that way? He comes from another angle, using the same entry in which you fought him. This is what Satan's doing. But then Jesus comes back with the word. He, now he's using Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, where the Israelites were testing God in Masa to doubt to see if God is God really going to be with us or not so once again it is the idea will God protect us will God be for us because if you trust that he will then you don't have to be afraid of things around you you don't have to try to hide and try to protect whatever it is that you think you have or you're going to lose you're fully trusting that God will watch over you, that he will love you, he will protect you. And this is what Satan is trying to put a stronghold in your life. And then again, I want you to notice a word again in verse 7. I want everyone to say it, say, say it again, again. So once again, we see here, Jesus is fighting Satan with scripture. He says again. And this is a process you got to do it over and over and over again. You know, I was thinking about this and with this sin of uh, self-protection. I realized that we usually test people, and we sometimes even test God when we're trying to protect ourselves. You know, that relationship. Does he really love me? I'm going to test him. Is he going to contact me, or is he not? Because why? You're protecting yourself. You don't want to get hurt. Sometimes you test, God, if you're really there, then you got to do this. you got to answer this. But you're not doing it in faith. You're just doing it because you want to protect yourself. Because what if you do trust that he will do it and it doesn't happen? You're going to get hurt. So many of us, we test people. It's because we're trying to protect ourselves. And here's Satan testing the word of God. And he's trying to tell Jesus, hey, will God really, will he really protect you? If he will, then why don't you jump off and fulfill that prophecy that you'll be coming down from heaven if you are the Messiah. And this is where we always fall into the trap of trusting ourselves. Yeah, wait a minute. Maybe God won't deliver. Yeah, wait a minute. Maybe this is not going to. And so what do we do? We keep on protecting ourselves. That's why some of us who have been hurt from relationships or other things in the past, what, what, we have a wall around our hearts. It is always risky to love. Because there's a possibility of getting hurt. But you protect yourself because you've been hurt before. That's where you're constantly testing that person. Which I'm telling you right now, from the other side, they don't like it. 
So it's going back to the wounds of the past and the words that have been spoken to us. So here's Jesus being tempted by Satan with this area of protection. Will God protect you if you were to jump off? I'm wondering for us, do we have faith that God knows what he's doing? Are we trusting God for provisions and everything that we need? Or are we trusting in ourselves and we're trying to protect ourselves from getting hurt? You know, this, this is just a thought that I had. I think those of us in this room who love safety more than God, it will literally paralyze you and you will be in the prison of your own self. Let me explain it this way. If you feel like there is a possibility of the plane crashing and you dying, you will never get on a plane. If you feel like that the MTR is unsafe and something could happen, or the bus, because there were some cases where the bus kind of turned too sharply and it flipped over and people died, then you will never get on a bus or an MTR. You see this even with this pandemic. You don't come out at all. And please don't misunderstand me because there's some of you who have elderly parents and uh, grandparents and you don't want to catch anything because I, I agree with that because it's going to affect your family and they might pass away. So I understand that. But I'm talking about that fine line where we are so consumed to the point where it just we're paralyzed and even trusting in God that he will protect us. So you do everything in your life to protect yourself. And here's God saying that I will protect you. God's word breaks the sin of self-protection. If some of you are struggling with this, it's God's word. The only thing that he will break the stronghold in your life, a sin of self-protection. So let me close out with this third thing. So we notice here, God's word breaks not only the sin of self-sufficiency, and it breaks the sin of self-protection. And lastly, God's word breaks the sin of self-centeredness. Let's close out with verse 8 through 11. This is what the word of God says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The final temptation dealt with God's plan and God's purpose. Satan, what he does is he takes Jesus now, not only from this hill area where the temple was, but he takes Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of its glory. I want to read to you the message translation of that verse so that it will give you a better idea. It says this, He, being Satan, he gestured expansively, pointing out all the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they all were. Can, can you picture that? Like, like, let's pretend I'm Satan, and Jesus is right here. Hey, dude. And I was reading this, I'm like, wow, he does that to us all the time, doesn't he? Look at your career, man. 
I know. I'm just typing all day. I'm in my cubicle. You could be a CEO. Wow. Look at your life. You have no one in your life. I know. Look at all these church people. <laughs> no, Lord. No. <laughs> Look at all these people in the bars. Yes, Lord. <laughs> I'm just kidding. How often does he gesture expansively to you of all the things that he's offering? Oh, you spent too much time at church. Look at all the stuff that your friends are doing. Look at your career. Look at your life. Look at your studies. Look at the things that you want. Like, pretty much he does this every single day through social media. He does it through people around you, your friends. He just constantly is expansively gesturing to you. Look at all the things that you could have if you will just follow me and bow down and worship me. And we don't see it that way. We just go through life not thinking that we are in a spiritual warfare. But he's constantly gesturing expansively things in your life that will cause you to derail you from your life. Huh. University of blank blank in Hong Kong. Oxford. Cambridge. Harvard. Overseas. Wow. Once again, none of these things are wrong. But the problem is we live so much for ourselves and not for the purposes of God. Not once you stop as you're praying and you're trying to decide, is it really the most glorifying thing to God? Because what Satan does, he knows your heart's desire. If some of you want to be famous, he will speak to that, to that fame that you desire. If some of you want to be rich, he will speak to that and tell you how you can be successful and make a lot of money. Are some of you desiring comfort and security? He will speak to you about those things and he will gesture to you expansively of all the things that he is trying to do that you can have that you're not having because you're not doing the things that you should be doing. What he's simply saying is that I can give you all of your heart's desire right now if you will just bow down and worship me. That is what he's trying to say. But the problem is that if Jesus did do that, he would not have gone to the cross. This would have been so appealing. I don't know about you, like cross, pain, suffering, and just have this right now. Come on. This is the reason why we're not Jesus, right? I would have chose this. Why would I choose suffering and pain, which is God's purpose for Jesus so he could save the world? Satan's offering this expansive thing that you can have right now if you would just bow down and worship. And if we're self-centered, we always choose what's best for us, not for others. We always do things that will advance our career. We always do things that will help us to get famous. We always do things so that we can promote ourselves. That's us. This is who we are. But here's Jesus. Who chooses not himself, but he chooses the will of the Father. Which means suffering and pain and difficulties that he's going to go through. The temptation is, Jesus, will you take a shortcut? 
There's a better way where people will be able to worship you, and this will be all yours, all the kingdoms of the world. You just have to worship me. That's a shortcut. But God's plan, God's purpose is the way of the cross. And what does Jesus do? He ends up quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, which references to God being the only one to be worshipped and to be served. Satan always wants you to worship and serve and bow down to everything else but God. This is how he calls us not to, this is how he causes us not to live for God's purposes and God's plans, but for ourselves. That's why you got to be reminded of what Jesus did. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So after you go through some difficulties, he says this, God of all grace, he who called you into this eternal glory will, what, strengthen you. He will confirm you. He will play out his purpose, establishing you in the purposes of God. I want you to also notice the authority that Jesus had. You see this in verse 10. What is he? He goes, be gone, Satan. Sometimes it feels like it's a mosquito, right? Be gone, Satan. No. Like there's an exclamation mark. There's a reason. He's saying, be gone, Satan. And look at some of these other translations. I wrote down a whole bunch, that phrase. It says, go, Satan. It's not like, come on, go, go. But he's like, go! Pardon me, I wanted us to do that together, but I won't. I'll stop here. But go. The next translation, the NIV says, away from me, Satan. Like, you have, you have no part in my life. Away from me. Another thing you will notice is beat it. I like that one. <laughs> beat it. Next one. Get out of here. I think there's one more. No? Is that it? Okay. You look it up yourself. Now it'll be like, what the? You know, get, get out. This is the kind of authority that we have. And I want you to notice the last verse where it says, Satan then left and waited for another opportune time. He's constantly attacking to bring you down in your identity, causing you to sin, be, being held by strongholds of self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, self-protection. Do you know why the word of God is so powerful? Listen to me. I'm going to bring this to a close here. The reason why the word is so powerful is because in John chapter 1, verse 4, or verse 1 and verse 14, I'm going to read it for us here. It says, in the beginning was the word, that's capitalized. In the Greek, it's logos. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The reason why the word, God's word is so powerful is because Jesus is the word. And then it says, and the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ is the word. And this word came in the flesh. He came in a human being. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And then he went and suffered as he went to the cross and he was nailed to the cross. The word was nailed to the cross and he died. 
and then he rose again from the dead on the third day. And that's why we proclaim the word. That's why it is the word that gives us strength. It is the word that we turn to. It is the word that we declare. And so the question is this. Do you know the word? Do you know God's word? Because when you powerfully speak it, that's where the strongholds can be broken in our lives. As we shared in the one thing, when God's word is faithfully spoken, strongholds can be powerfully broken. Can I just give us some next steps that I want to challenge us with throughout this week and just throughout even the 50 days and after the 50 days? First of all, memorize scripture. Come on, how are we doing? I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Uh, how about the other ones? I don't know. I know that one. Psalm 130. 39, 39. Praise God that you know one. There's other verses like Jesus wept and, you know, pray continuously. The, the, you know, start there. Start really low. But I want to just encourage you. Memorize scripture. Memorize his word. Can you imagine if Jesus was being tempted by Satan and goes, hold on for a second. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, Deuteronomy. Oh, okay, here it is. Chapter, what was it? Six, chapter six, yeah. By that time, Satan would have just fallen asleep. I don't know. The word was on his tongue and he spoke it. And he goes, it is written. When was the last time you felt this tremendous temptation or just feeling doubts and maybe spirits of depression and anxiety all over you? And in that midst of just being alone in that room, you, you declared out, you spoke out his word that you memorized. I'm wondering what it will do to you in that moment, in that room, all by yourself. So Satan will have to leave. He's going to have to beat it. He's going to have to leave. Because there's power in his word. Because the word was from the beginning and it was with God and it was God. Start memorizing scripture. Come on now. Some of you have accountability partners. Get on each other's cases. Let's start memorizing. We talked about that. That's why this coming week, even in our life group, we're going to try to memorize scripture. We do it not because, oh, we have to do an assignment. No, we do it because it's our life. We need his word. That's how we fight and break some of these strongholds in our lives. It's not through all these things that we try to do, but it's through the word of God. The second thing is this, meditate on scripture. Because you, you don't just memorize, you got to meditate on it. You got to think about it. You got to marinate on it. Keep on doing it until you so deeply believe this. It, it's internalized in your heart. That's why I don't mind if you memorize it as you're fearful, fearfully and wonderfully made. But do you believe it? Let it marinate deep inside. Meditate on it. Think about it. That's why I love what Psalm 19, <clears throat> Psalm 19, verse 14 says. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Be pleasing in your sight or before you. You are my rock. You are my redeemer. May the meditation, the things that we meditate on, and the words that are coming out, Lastly, mouth out scripture. Once again, it's about declaring. Say it out. Say it out loud. That's where prayer comes into this. And lastly, move in faith.
move in faith because there's going to be so many things you're going to be tempted to turn away from God. Self-centeredness, self-protection, self-sufficiency. Start moving in faith, trusting that God will work. And can I just encourage us with one more thing? Whatever comes out of our, our mouths, let's make sure that it edifies. Can I get a good amen to that? You, you know what I'm talking about when you have friends. Oh, you're an idiot. No, you're the idiot. <laughs> and you think it's so fun. But you know what you guys look like? Foolish. I know sometimes you joke around, and I don't mind joking around. But be careful what you say, because words have power. And to those of us, when things are spoken to and it hurts us, don't just keep it inside. Speak up. Move in faith. Go to that person and say, hey, bro, like when you said that, it really hurt me. And I, I don't want Satan to use this to ruin our friendship or to ruin our life group. And that person will probably say, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean that. And I, I'm going to make sure I'm more sensitive to that. And that's where there's unity of peace. That's what we want to see. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.